the birth of the Rebbe Rashad. Okay, now. The dreams. Remember all that? I wasn't taking pictures. I wasn't taking pictures. I wasn't taking pictures. Oh, I'd love to hear it. And then they had the bris and whatever. The dream really. Oh, I The dream. The daughter of the. 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 The that her mother and grandfather name the babe the baby's name will be after me right that was the middle of that the middle of right she dreamt about the middle of that right and in the dream is that the baby's name will be don't forget my name and then she waited a long time before she told right but then the other thing was the bris I couldn't understand what the bris Wait, wait, there was going to be a meal, a big meal. No. Who was the baby being? And they wrote a Sefer Torah in secret. And it was a girl? They wrote a Sefer Torah in secret. And when the Torah was ready, there was going to be a meal, but Rikuf wasn't up to making the meal. But I don't know what that had to do with They hired, they got the meal together. But they did, even though the Sefer Torah was ready, they didn't, they had the, Kneel for it without producing the Torah. He called them up and said, "Don't finish it today." Right. Why did you do that? That we don't know yet. Oh, ah, right. so that's the continuation. We're gonna find out where the name Shalom. I just think of the players. Well, yeah. We might get to that. Yes. Have a little. My niece had a baby in the name Shalom. That's very sexy. I told my sister I'll let her know why the name Shalom. Wow. Oh gosh, you remember the fact my sister has a son Shalom. The affair and she uh-huh. didn't know why the name. I mean, I said to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So in short, the Rebbe Tzvi who was the wife of the Rebbe Maharash, Rebbe Tzvi she had a dream. She actually had two dreams. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the second dream, the middle Rebbe came to her, and the Alter Rebbe also came to her, and they said, "You're going to have a son." And they told her what the they hinted to her what the name should be. And uh, they there was instructions in the dream to write a sefer Torah. That's what the middle rabbi said. That the mother said, write a sefer Torah. So they wrote a sefer Torah. And the custom is when you finish the sefer Torah, you have a simcha. You have a big party, a big celebration, a big dancing. And what was strange was that they had all the dancing, but the Tzemachzadik said, don't finish the Sefer Torah. But the dancing and the music should continue anyway. And no one knew why, but that's what, that, that was his instructions. Okay, and now we're going to continue. Then eventually, on the 13th day of Cheshvin, they finished secretly, they finished the Sefer Torah. But there were only several people there, and seven days later, later she gave birth to the Rebbe Rashab. Okay, now we're getting to the bliss. If the baby was born on the 20th of Cheshvin, 
So the bris is meant to be? 27. Huh? 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. 28. They had the Shalom Zachal. And that Shabbos, my father-in-law, this is Rebetzin Rivka talking, the wife of the Rebbe Marash, and she's saying, my father-in-law, who's that? Samach Tzedek, right? He said twice Chzidus. In other words, he said a Maimah twice. The Chzidus discourse, he said twice that Shabbos. And that night, he came to participate in the Shalom Zachal, the Shalom Zohar is, is, is like, uh, what's the Shalom Zohar? When you have a baby, when you have a boy, so Friday night, people come to your house and they say, Mechaim, they eat some uh, cake or something, there's some singing. That's, that's called the Shalom Zohar, that's uh, the ceremony. That's not coordinated with the bliss, this is just on the first Friday night after the baby. Right, that's right. Is that when the children come to the stay with the baby? No, that's, that's the night before the bliss. Okay. And Tzemach Tzedek was, was uh, extremely in, in a joyous frame of mind. He was very happy. On Sunday, at night, there were many guests, relatives, and the night before the bliss, they stayed up the whole night saying Tehillim and learning Zohar, doing the different things that are done in the night that's called Vachnach, the night that you stay up the whole night before the bliss. Now, during this time, my mother-in-law was weak. Her health was uh, was run down a bit. And uh, in her room slept her daughter, my sister-in-law. Her name was Dvoira Leia. And the, the room of my mother-in-law was next to the room of my father-in-law. In the middle of the night, around 3 a.m., I hear, not I hear, my mother-in-law, sister-in-law heard that my father-in-law, are you losing track? My mother-in-law, meaning the wife of the Tzemach Tzedek, who was, who was weak, she was sick then, and my daughter-in-law means her daughter, her name was Dvaralayu, they heard that my father-in-law, was speaking with the secretary, the Meshavah. His name was Reb Chaim Doiv. At 3 in the morning. 3 in the morning. And my mother-in-law, the wife of the asks her daughter, please take a look what happened in the room of my, fa- of, of my husband. Why is he calling at such a late hour? Why is he calling his, his Michelle, his secretary? So, Boralea, the daughter that Tzemach Tzedek hears, the way that Tzemach Tzedek instructs the secretary, Chaim Doiv, to say to the Rebbe Marash, my husband, Rebbe Marash, the father, tomorrow the bliss will not take place. 
and she, the daughter, goes to her mother, the wife of Tzemach saying what she heard. Mm-hmm. Now, my mother-in-law, the wife of Tzemach was very upset when she heard this. So she sent her daughter to ask the Tzemach don't don't send to the Rebbe Malash, to the, to the father, that the bris will not be in its time. And she said, the Rebbe Tzemach said that I'm weak and not weak, the mother is weak, Rebbe Tzemach is weak, and when she'll find out that the bris is pushed away, she'll be very saddened and it might affect her health. So the Tzemach Tzedek was saying the bliss should not take place on the eighth day. He didn't say why. Apparently the, the baby was healthy because the Mayon didn't complain. But the Rebetzin was upset. So she sent back a message to the Tzemach Tzedek, please don't stop the bliss. But the Tzemach Tzedek didn't want to listen. And he sent his, his secretary to go say to the Rebbe Marash, that the bliss will not take place tomorrow. But his Rebetzin sent again a message to Zemotzedek, please don't push away the bliss. Many guests came, they prepared a big meal, it's going to be a big loss, and it's a disgrace for the honor of the Hasidim and their pain. So Zemotzedek sent back a message to his wife, he knows the laws of Mila, and he has nevertheless reasons that the bris will not be in time. And he wants to send the secretary to say it to the Rebbe Malash. Mm-hmm. So this is the grandfather of the new baby. That's right. Yeah. So Machtadik is the grandfather. Okay. Malash is the father. Right. So a third time, the Rebbe of Tzedek sends a message to Tzedek, Please don't send your secretary. <laughs> the third time. Whoa. But she went on, and the third time she said, being that I am a daughter of a Talmud Chacham, she was the Mitzvah Rebbe's daughter. I'm the daughter of a Talmud Chacham, a scholar, so I have the power to demand this. And I'm demanding this, ma- I'm demanding this now. So my father-in-law says to uh, his daughter, the messenger, what could I do to your mother, that was his wife, the Rebetzin? If she wants it and she demands it, and she demands it because she's the daughter of Hamad Chacham, so I, I, I'm forced to listen to her. But nevertheless, this is the way it is. The Sefer Torah was finished when it was supposed to. Everything is Ashkoch of Pratis, everything is Divine Providence, the way Hashem wants. And likewise, the Bris will be when it's supposed to be. That was his answer. You see, the Samach Tzedek was the Rebbe. But by the family, it wasn't always. You know, he's the Rebbe, he said. Right. 
But it's very important. You know, if a chassid would have been who done such a thing, yeah. he's terrible. He's a fa- but this was the wife. This is the, the Rebbe. It's the family. So between themselves, they yeah. had different so ways of talking. He said he has to listen to her, but on the other hand, it's still going to be. So, so now he's, he's not going to send a message to the Rebbe that the priest won't be that day. Yeah. But still, he was hinting. But that's when Hashem wants, that's, that's what it's going, it's going to be. It's not going to end up that way. Yeah, yeah. That, that was like a hint. He wasn't saying anything. But at this point, the Sefer Torah is finished. Right. And but he was saying, just like the Sefer Torah was finished when it was supposed to be, right. which was hinting not when everyone thought it would be finished, and this, this one will also be when Hashem wants. So the last week you told us the bris was on Kavzrahim, on 27th. I said it was? It was supposed to be. That was the eighth day. Oh, so I thought we already were told the ending. Uh-huh. No. Maybe it was, I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> no? Okay, there is an explanation for this, but that's not for now. That that's a discussion by itself. Okay, let's continue. This is only a story, but ask anyway. Something else. I noticed that the Rebbe Rishon, the second son of the Rebbe Marash, not the first. Right, the had three children. Right. Right. So you're asking why was he the Rebbe and not the first son? Well, that's a story by itself. We want to stick to the point, I gather. <laughs> well, I just thought that was the second son, but I've got a better answer. <laughs> now, the next day, on Monday, which was the eighth day, the day when the bliss was supposed to take place, so everything began normally. In the shul, they lit special candles, and in shul, they didn't say tachanon. And there's a bliss, there's a certain prayer you don't use. And after prayer, my father-in-law, the Tzemach Tzedek, went to Shul. They prepared Kisei Shel Eliyahu. That's the chair. What's the Kisei Shel Eliyahu? The That's where the, they hold the baby on. That's where they put the baby. Special, special chair. And um, and the Tzedek, the one who holds the baby, was supposed to be the Tzemach Tzedek. They brought the baby, and uh, the moyol was my husband. Who's this? The Amarash. She was the moyol. He was an expert moyol. And as they were about to 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 go through the the procedures of the meal of the circumcision, they saw that the baby can't be circumcised. And my husband, with other professional uh, moyolim. They uh, decided, with the consent of my father, that we have to push off the bliss. Mm-hmm. 
Because medically he wasn't, uh, ready. the baby wasn't ready medically. Yeah, sometimes he was yellow, whatever, it doesn't say what, but medically, there are times when you don't have the person on the eighth day with a medical problem. So he had a medical problem. Right. Right. It's interesting that the Tzemach wanted to give the message, right, but that he was stopped. Whatever that means, he was stopped. And he wanted to very much do the message, but he was stopped. But then he was ready to be the Sandak, but it didn't happen. Okay, now my father-in-law nevertheless remained in Shul, and he said, bring to the table mashka. What's a mashka? Come on, have one. Vodka, that's right. Mashka. Bring mezainas. What's mezainas? Cakes, things that you say to mezainas. And he said l'chaim. And he said chsidis. He said chsidic discourse. And the fabengi continued until the time of mincha. Went on for hours and hours. And my, my, the Tzemach Tzedek said they should have a feast. And he said again, Chesedes. Then, Monday night, not Monday night, like a month later, going a month later, on the second night of Hanukkah, the Tzemach Tzedek calls the Rebbe Marash, he calls his son, and he says, tomorrow you should do the bris of your son. It should be in my prayer room and it should be done silently. Only your brothers and close relatives. There should not be more than 20 people. And then Sam Chzadik said that the luchos, the tablets, which were given silently, quietly, this is retained forever in the ever. This was, uh, this was an allusion to um, when God gave us the tablets on Mount Sinai, there was a lot of noise. There was thunder and lightning, the voice of a shofar, and there was a fire. It was a tremendous occasion. But what happened 40 days later? They sinned, and they had to break the luchos. The second luchos, when Moses went up a second time to bring the second tablets, he came down on Yom Kippur, but that was done without any noise. There was no noise. He just came quietly, and we had it. So there's a saying that that sometimes when things are done with a lot of noise, it's an eye in it's like an evil eye. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of noise, it's an evil eye. But the second luchas was done quietly. Okay, that that worked out. But Tzemach was saying that the bris should be done silently, and when it's silent, then it remains forever in your mouth, your children's mouth, and your grandchildren's mouth. Hashem says forever. Then the Tzemach said, name the child Shalom Ben. Why Shalom Ben? Shalom Du Ben. Because, uh, yeah, how do we get Shalom Ben? So my father's name was Bell. And he didn't explain the name Shalom. But Shalom was another relative there. The relative is Shalom was Shalom Shachna. Shalom Shachna was um, was the son-in-law of the Alter Rebbe. He was the one that uh, Shalom Shachna, his uh, he married the daughter of the Alter Rebbe, and their child was the wife of the Tzemach Tzedek. That was Shalom Shachna. 
Oh yeah, it says on the name of the father of my father-in-law. My father-in-law was some sense father-in-law was uh, yeah Shalom Shachna. That, that's what it is. The the that's why it was called Shalom. So it was named for two people. One Shalom, one one bound. And during the naming of the child, the Tzemach Tzedek said. He said, he, his name was Shalom Ber, but if you take the acronym of Reb Shalom Ber, what do you get? Rashan. Now the Tzemach said that called all his grandchildren in, in the acronym. That's what he called all of them. So he said Rashab, and Rashab has three Hebrew letters, Reishin Beis. If you turn the letters around, you have Basal, Meat. And if you turn the letters around again, you have shava, which means break. You have to break the flesh of the body. That, that, that was his comment. He was born on Chof Cheshven, 20th of Cheshven, in the year Tafresh Chof Aleph, which is a, 1860. So Tafresh Chof is a Chof, 20. And he was born on the 20th of Chof Cheshven. Two twenties indicate the upper kessa, the upper crown. Kessa starts with the chav, the kav. So this indicates the upper crown. That's what he said during the naming. Okay. Now, that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Now, it doesn't explain what was behind the scene, what was going on. But it was obvious that Tzavachsedek was working different things. There's also a similar story to this about the Rebbe Marash. If a child is underweight, too, they will weigh. Right. Well, yeah, but this they knew before. If he was underweight, he wasn't underweight. What do you mean he'd be lacking different things, spiritual? Yeah, my brother was a... <laughs> yes, in the spiritual realm. He had to wait a month for that. So it was told to him that it should be postponed. Mm-hmm. Was his name Shalom there or Shalom Dovdeh? Shalom Dovdeh. His name, when you write it, is Shalom Duba. Dovdeh. What is the... Actually... When you write it, it's one word, do bell. When you say it, it's doiv bell. The word bell means a bear, the animal bear. The Hebrew word for bear is doiv, doiv bell. When you write it, it's do bell. That's how you write it. So it's shalom, do bell. Reish, shin, dalit. Reish, shin, dalit? Why wouldn't his acronym be Ah, because because when you say it in Yiddish, you say Shalom Bell. You don't say Doiv Bell. Because the Doiv is like an additional... Uh, additional. But some people are just called Doiv there. Yeah, yeah so it's not Shalom. Yeah. But whenever you have Shalom, you never say Shalom Doiv. It's always Shalom Bell. Or Bell. Okay. So that's into the story. <coughs> and uh, well, there was a question about Shumat Rabbi Why he was... He was the second child, right? Oh, well, yeah, why he became the Rebbe. Okay, that, that, that's like a different story by itself, which we'll, we'll have, to have perhaps a different time. Okay, let's go back to our discussion from last week, where I see that we had a report that it was a little bit mixed up. So let's try to clarify it. Yeah, you, you just uh, always hard to uh, understand. I think you gave us more credit than we 
upper knowledge than we actually have. But we spoke about the upper knowledge yeah. and the lower knowledge. No, I'm thinking of the lower knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, but didn't we learn that concealment is revelation? Okay. Okay, can anyone give us some summary from last week? A little basic summary, something? Okay, we spoke about the upper knowledge and the lower knowledge. And we began our discussion with looking at one Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for creation. What's the Hebrew word for creation? Bria. 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 Like it says in the beginning of the Torah, Bresh is Bora, Elohim. Bora, created. Bria. Now the commentaries, when they define the word Bria, they say, what does Bria mean? What does creation mean? And they say Bria means Yesh Me'ayin. Yesh means something, me'ayin from nothing. Yesh, something, me'ayin from nothing. That's what Bria is. Bria is creation. Creation means something from nothing. It doesn't mean something from something. If someone makes a table, is that Bria? No. No, because it's yesh me'yesh. It's one thing from another thing. Bria is yesh, something may iron from nothing. But what is, what is the Hebrew word when you create something from something? Well, that's not called creation. That's called mice or tikkun. Uh, the other words, tsura, letzaya, there are different words for that. But it's not the word bria. Bria is designated for creation, yesh, may iron, something from nothing. Now, we had a question last week on the word bria which is creation something from nothing. The question is, it would have been more accurate to say, to translate creation as nothing from something. Ayin meyesh, nothing from something. That would be more accurate translation. Why would that be more accurate translation? Because we're nothing and we come from that's right, we come from something, we come from Hashem. So creation should have been translated the other way. It should have been translated, we're nothing from something. But not to translate Bria, as the commentaries do, something from nothing. Because we're not a something, and we don't come from a nothing. We come from something. And if we're anything, we're a nothing. <laughs> But certainly we shouldn't say that we're a something which comes from nothing. That surely doesn't make sense. Even if we are a something, we don't come That's right. I mean, we might compromise. Yeah, we might compromise we're something from something bigger. Right, right. But if you want to put the word nothing there, say we're a nothing from something. But don't say we're a something from nothing. That doesn't make sense. We're a something from Hashem. Or we're a nothing from Hashem. But we come from Yesh, from something. This was the question we had last week huh okay now the answer to the question is that there are two knowledges there are two days we have the upper knowledge and the lower knowledge 
These are two knowledges, these are two deyos. You know, the word das comes like, you, you ever heard the word chabad, chachmavina das? Das means knowledge. So there are two deyos. There's the upper knowledge and the lower knowledge. The upper knowledge, the upper knowledge says that above is yesh and below is ayin. Above is something and below is nothing. That's the upper knowledge. What does that mean? What is the upper knowledge saying? They're saying that above, referring to God, that's yesh, that's something. Below God, so to speak, anything besides God, anything God makes, is ayin. It's nothing compared to God. It's insignificant compared to God. So above is yesh and below is ayin. This is the upper knowledge. Okay, so is the upper knowledge clear? Yeah. The upper knowledge makes a lot of sense. That above is yesh, above is something that's God, and below is nothing. That's the upper knowledge. Okay. Now, the lower knowledge is the reverse. Low knowledge says that below is yesh, below is something, and above is nothing. Now, let's explain this lower knowledge. Below is something. What's something? Something means something that we feel, something tangible, something we relate to. That's the yesh. That's what we feel below. But our source, our source, which means the godly energy creating us, this we call ayin. We call this nothing. Why do we call this nothing? Because we don't understand the godly energy. We can't touch it with our fingers. We can't feel it. We can't understand it. So we refer to it as being ayin. It's another way of saying it's not in our realm, it's in the upper realm. It's a higher level. So therefore, in the lower das, in the lower knowledge, we say, Briya, creation. What's creation? Yesh. What does yesh mean? Something. What's something here? I feel it. But we come from ayin. What's ayin? Ayin doesn't mean nothing, literally. It means the godly energy we will refer to as being nothing. Because we don't understand it, we can't feel it. Because it's above our realm. So we call we have no choice but to call it nothing. We can't relate to it in a tangible way. So we call it ayin. So now we understand that when the Torah speaks about creation... The Torah is dealing with which das, which knowledge? Is the Torah relating to the upper knowledge or to the lower knowledge? Which knowledge is the Torah focusing when the Torah says creation? That's a question I'm asking, I'm asking you. The lower knowledge, that's right. Creation is from the lower knowledge. That's right. That's right. That's what creation is. Creation is the lower knowledge. But in the upper knowledge, in the upper knowledge, there is no creation. In the upper knowledge, above is yesh, and everything else is nothing. In the upper knowledge. In the lower knowledge, there's something here, because we feel it, 
and we come from a level we call ayin, our source is ayin, we don't detect our source. We know it's there, but we can't see it. So we call this ayin. And this is the definition of bria, creation, something from a godly strength which is called nothing. Interpretation of creation. Okay, you said in the upper knowledge there is no creation, there's only what? Only God. So, um, when you talk about creation, our point of view, lower, lower knowledge is like our point of view. That's right. So the Torah speaks to our point of view. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Now, our point of view is not fiction. It's not imaginary. Our point of view has the legitimacy of Torah. Torah legitimizes our point of view. I think we mentioned this last week. How do we know that our perception of reality is real? Maybe did we discuss this last week? Maybe our perception is all imaginary because because it's only Hashem that exists, nothing else exists. And the fact that we feel things, it's all imagination. You always think that. Now I'm going to prove you wrong. Okay? I'm going to give you two proofs that our, our perception is a reality. Two proofs. Proof number one, because the Torah says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. So the Torah says, God created the world. Creation is something from the level called nothing. So this proves that creation is a reality. This proves that our perception is a reality. Because the Torah said it was creation. If this wouldn't be a reality, the Torah couldn't say creation. Only in a certain level. The big picture, not at all. No, in this level... This is one level, right? There's an up, uh, but this is a true level. This is our level. It's not an imaginary level. It's a true level. It has the legitimacy of the Torah. The Torah says that this is this is correct. So from Hashem's point of view, we believe this. That's right. No, from Hashem's point of view, we don't. We don't exist. We're not like we're all part of. Okay. We're not. We don't have an individual. You see, when we say that there are two deities, there are two knowledges, we're not discussing two competing knowledges, our knowledge and God's knowledge. No, it's not that way. We're speaking about two knowledges within Hashem, within God. There's a verse that says, God is the God of deos, of two knowledge. God himself, so to speak, has two knowledge, two das. God has the upper das, and God has the lower das. Ultimately. That's a good question how that could I mean, be. Is it symptom? That's right. Is this before symptom, the upper knowledge and the lower knowledge? Yes, after symptom is the lower and before symptom is the higher, oh, right. Okay. So we're still talking about levels. Right, right, right. But they're both realities. Both dances are, re- are reality, the true reality. Not, not the real essence of the Shamdo reality. No, 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 no. It's not that one is false and one is true. They're both true. They're both the truth, but it's two different levels. So no, within Hashem you have both. No, you have both. 
within Hashem you have both das. Well, that is this is complete unity. When you have, the two together makes it unity. Well, that's a question. You can have both, but that's the reality that one Hashem is two days. It's like saying one God gives us 613 mitzvahs. How could one God give us 613 mitzvahs? One God should give us one mitzvah. Okay, but that's a different question. But that's the fact. One God gives us 613 mitzvahs. One God has two deos, and they're both true. And ultimately, what you'll end up happening, which we're not going to talk about right now, ultimately, when you have both of them together, then you have true unity. When you only have one of them, you don't have true unity. Even when you have the upper das, when you have the upper knowledge by itself, then you don't have the true unity yet. Only when you have both together, when they blend together, you have the true unity of God. So the true unity of God does not negate our existence. It legitimizes our existence. He says, you're right, this is existence. But that's only one perspective. Then God says, there's another das that says, oh no, it's only God, there's nothing else. And both das are legitimate. So one proof that our perspective is correct is from the fact that God says, in the beginning, in the Torah, God says in the Torah, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. That shows that there's a creation here. There's a reality, it's not imaginary. This is one proof. A second proof, I didn't tell you these proofs last week. <laughs> I'll tell you the second proof. What's the second proof? The second proof is from mitzvahs. Mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are physical. Mitzvahs are physical, not spiritual. God says, put up a mezuzah on the door. He's speaking about a physical parchment and physical ink and a physical door. Now, if you're going to say that the house is imaginary, and, and the wall is imaginary, and the doorpost is imaginary, then what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is, 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 is accepting that there's a physicality. And then God says, take the physicality and perform a mitzvah. So from the fact that God gave us mitzvahs, this proves that Gashmi's physicality is reality. It's not imaginary. So our perception is a real thing. It's a real perception. We're not fooling ourselves. The world is really a world. We know that for sure, because God said so in the Torah, and created the world, and because He gave us mitzvahs. So we have two proofs that the world is reality. Now, while we're on the subject, I'm going to change the subject for a moment. I thought I told you this last week, but apparently I didn't. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, you feel much better. That's why what? Uh -huh. Okay. You may have said that when we didn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I might have thought no, it's, that when you didn't. Don't think that I'm absent-minded completely. <laughs> it's just that if I didn't say it in this class, I said it in a different class. That's all it means. I don't always remember which class I said what. Okay. Generally speaking, when it comes to Jewish philosophy, there are many books of Jewish philosophy, and many of them are written by great Jewish leaders, great rabbis. When it comes to Jewish philosophy, we usually don't read them. At least we don't read them excessively. We usually stay away from Jewish philosophy, surprisingly. But we learn chassidus. 
Hasidic Hasidic Hasidic, but not Jewish philosophy Oh, that's what I'm going to tell you now Jewish philosophy attempts to explore religion intellectually let's use the intellect to understand religion we stay away from that Hasidus attacks religion from the soul, from the neshama Hasidus takes religion from a starting point where there's only God Okay. in other words saying it in different words philosophy will begin with das tachten with the lower knowledge and then it'll try to climb up Hasidus begins with das elyon, the upper knowledge and then it tries to go down now there's a joke there's a joke explaining why we don't get involved in Jewish philosophy there's a joke explaining that and why Hasidus we do learn Imagine you're learning a book where there's a question and an answer. The question is, how do we know there's a God? That's the question. So imagine I'm tired, it's at night, before I go to sleep I'm reading this question. How do we know, maybe there's no God? I fell asleep. So how do I sleep that night? As a non-believer. That night I slept as a non-believer. Because I just learned the question, maybe there's no God, you know, how do we know there's a God? So I slept the whole night as, as a non-believer. The next morning I'll wake up, oh, oh, there is a God, oh, I didn't realize that. But that whole night I was a non-believer. That's just two weeks ago. I did say it. Two weeks ago. Okay. Okay. When you learn chassidus, what happens? What kind of question do you, do you confront in chassidus? The question is, how do you know there's a world? Maybe there's no world. There's one chapter which ends with a question. It's the only chapter in Tanya. The question is, how could we see the world? We should only see the godly energy creating the world. And that's the way the chapter ends. What chapter is that, by the way? That's in the second part of Tanya, third chapter. Second part, third chapter. So imagine you fall asleep with, that, with this question. So how are you going to sleep that night? That night, there's only God, there's no world. Okay? What did you lose that night? <laughs> you might dream about God for a change, okay? The next day, oh, there is really a world. That's why we usually stay away from this philosophy. Because experience shows that when you attempt to tackle religion just by intellect, even if intellectually you understand religion, but you're limited. And your, and your whole approach to religion will be very cold. It will be a cold, a cold uh, relationship. When you learn Chassidus, Chassidus is fire. The more Chassidus you learn, the more fire you have in serving Hashem. Because Chassidus is Nas Elion, it's the upper knowledge. Is it hot because it's fire closer to the soul? Yes, yes. And this also... Which goes back three weeks ago. Yeah, now I'll take you something to three months, a couple of months ago. <laughs> I, I, I must have mentioned this in the past. This joke that... They say that there are three things which have to be effective. Three things have to have an effect. One is drinking vodka. The other one is having money. And the third one is learning chassidus. When it comes to vodka, when you drink vodka, you have to become drunk. When you have money, you have to become crazy. When you learn chassidus, you have to have Yerushimah, you have to fear Hashem. Now there's a question in all three. 
question is, I know people who drink vodka and they're not intoxicated. I know people who have money and they're not credited. And I know people who exceed this and they don't really fear Hashem. They don't fear God. And there's one answer that answers all three questions. If someone drank and he's not intoxicated, it's because he didn't drink enough. If someone has money, he's not crazy. He doesn't have enough money. And if someone is chassidus and he's not scared of Hashem, he doesn't have awe towards Hashem. He didn't learn enough chassidus yet. By the way, they, they did a study of people who won lotteries, and they showed that you know, for a long duration of years, a long period of years, you saw the people who won lotteries, they all, their, their lives were all shattered. That's true. All shattered. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Look at Howard Hughes. Uh-huh. That's right. Never spoke about him, right? The life of poverty. Mm-hmm. That's right. So when you learn this, it has to bring a person to have more respect towards God, more relation to God, a warmer relationship. And if you see you you learn you don't have that, you just have to learn more. So this is das elion. It's the upper knowledge. It's the knowledge which recognizes Hashem. That's your starting point. And then you try to understand it also. Okay, now let's translate the upper knowledge and the lower knowledge. Let's translate that into our lives. Let's see how this works in our lives. Most of our lives, we don't spend in the synagogue. Most of our lives we spend doing different things. In the kitchen, working, uh, different activities. We're not, we're not praying, we're not learning Torah. Now when we eat, drink, we work, all these activities, we're supposed to do it in a certain way. We're supposed to do it in a way which brings us closer to God. When we eat, when we travel, anything we do, any activity has to bring us closer to God. But this can be done in two ways. One way is, I drink in order to have energy to serve God. I eat in order to have energy to serve God. I sleep in order to be alert and to serve God the next day. That's one way. Now when you do that, you're actually serving God 24 hours a day. Which is what Judaism is all about. Judaism is not a part-time job. Judaism is 24 hours a day. Any activity we do, we always have to stop and ask ourselves, why were we created? Why is God giving us life? I'm supposed to be alive. But the reality is that each and every second God is giving us the gift of life. So every day we have to ask ourselves, why am I alive? 
Why is God giving me life? And the answer is, God is giving me life in order to serve Him. We're in this world to serve our Creator. That's the purpose of our life. Now when we serve our Creator, it's not just when we're in synagogue, not just when we're in a Torah class. Serving God is 24 hours a day, and in every activity we do, is serving God. Even changing the language. Like uh, one of my teachers once uh, taught, taught me, is when you change the diaper, he says, put on, put on your garter. Your garter is, garter is, is, a, is a thing that we put around uh, ourselves when we pray. So he's saying before you change the diaper, put on a garter because you're serving God and you're serving God. No, don't do it in time. You're going to be a little bit He didn't tell me what was in this year, but the same thing is anything we do, it's all the same thing. It's all part of serving God. 24 hours a day. Now, the second way of serving God throughout the day is not using the food as a means have energy to serve our food. It's not a means for something else. It's not the sleeping as a means to have energy to serve God. But there's a higher level. The higher level is the food itself is a mystery. Eating the food itself is a mystery. Sleeping itself is a mystery. Now how could eating food be a mystery? An example would be Shabbos. Eating food on Shabbos is a mystery. Master on Pesach, on Passover is a mystery. Eating in a sukkah is a mystery. It's not that through the eating I'll have energy to serve God. The eating itself is a mystery. Oh, what I'm going to tell you is there's a question. When it's not Shabbos, we can reach a level of Shabbos. I'll tell you how we do that. The way to do that is, we stop and we say, Every second of our lives, it takes the same but every second we stop and we say, what is the Rotzoin of God? What is the will of God? Rotzoin, will. What is the will of God? What does God want us to do the second? That's the question we stop and ask ourselves every second. And you say, does God want I should eat now? Yes or no? If He wants, I should eat. And I'm not going to eat. Does He want I should sleep? Yes or no? He wants I should want Him to sleep. So, when I'm eating, this itself is the will of God. When I'm sleeping, this itself is the will of God. Not that this brings me to something else. It's not a means to achieve an end. This is the end itself. Every activity, everything I do, this itself is part of serving God. This is a higher level of connecting to God 24 hours a day. Now, the difference between these two levels is Das Tachtoin and Das Elyon. In Das Tachten, in the lower knowledge, where we're here, we exist, you know, you have the food, you have the drink, then I ask myself, what's the purpose of my existence? What's the purpose of the food? The purpose of the food is to serve Hashem, to get to the Ayin. The purpose of the Yesh is to get to the Ayin. The purpose of existence is to serve Hashem. In Das Elia, in the upper knowledge, it works the other way. Only Hashem exists, nothing else exists in the upper knowledge. So then, if only Hashem exists, all my activities are just part of serving Hashem. Not a means to get to Hashem, but this itself is serving Hashem. 
Now it's very interesting that the Rebbe's Fabringen of Simchas Torah, Tavshinun Beis, this is the last Simchas Torah Fabringen which the Rebbe had before the stroke in 1991, Simchas Torah. Back the Rebbe spoke a lot about children. That's when he called the children Mashiachan. But before he got to this part, the Rebbe spoke about serving God, and he mentioned these two levels. And he quoted a, a statement from the Talmud. The Talmud says, I was created to serve my Creator. And the Rebbe pointed out that there are two versions to this Talmudic statement. One version is, I was created to serve my Master. The other version says, I was not created only for the sake of serving my Master. It's going to the negative. I was not created only for the sake of my master. And then pointed out, what's the difference between these two versions? In the first version, I was created to serve my master. I'm here. That's Das Tachter, that's lower knowledge. I'm here. I'm here to serve my master. I'm eating to serve God. In the upper knowledge, I was not created only for the sake of serving my master. Your beginning point is I was not created. Oh, I'm here. It's only to serve my master. That's the upper knowledge. These are both in the Talmud. Right, are two versions of the Talmud. Of the Talmud two, two, two versions. versions of the, of commentary? Or no, the two versions of commentary? No, of the statement. In, in the Talmud. Right, right. And the pointed out that ver- both versions are valid. They're two different levels. And then the Rebbe said that Mashiach didn't come yet. And it's so long that Mashiach didn't come. And the term the Rebbe used was, in a way that's marvelous, it's shocking, that Mashiach didn't come yet. Why didn't Mashiach come yet? The Rebbe said, because we have to live now Mashiach did. And how do you live Mashiach did? You live Mashiach did by asking yourself, what will I do when Mashiach comes? What will I do when Mashiach comes? My life will be Das Elyon. It will be the upper knowledge. That will be my life. My life will be that everything I do is for the sake of serving God directly. Not a means to an end, but the eating itself is serving God. This is living with Mashiach. And when the Rebbe said this, then he jumped right away to speaking about the children. He said that the children are called Mashiach. Because their life, you could see in their life that their life is something else. Their life could be Mashiach. They could dream and eat and everything they do could be infused with Das Elyon, the upper Das. We adults suffer from Das Tachtim. We have the lower knowledge. Which is okay. But it has to be, it has to blend together with the upper knowledge. The knowledge of the children which children have sometimes, the upper knowledge, the knowledge of Mashiach. When the Talmud, when they said that in the Talmud, uh, when they referred to any verse in Torah, they just said it in their own I don't think it was based on a verse of the Torah. I would have to look it up to make sure. I don't think it was based on a verse of the Torah. I heard you say that we were created to serve Hashem and the, and the other thing that you said. So if we were, if we were not only created to her, serve Hashem, what's the other? Why were we created? 
No, we were created to serve. Only others. to serve Hashem. Right. Then there was another part to that. Yeah, but there are two ways of viewing this. Yeah. One way is, oh, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm here. Right. Oh, uh, let me call up God. Uh, yeah, uh, is there anything I can do for you? But your starting point is, I'm here. Then you want to serve God. That's one approach. Yeah. The other approach is, I'm not here. I don't exist. Oh, if Hashem does give me existence, then it's only to serve Hashem. Your starting point is, what does God want? Two different approaches. One approach is, first, let me look at myself. And, you I know, did. let me make sure I had a good breakfast. And, uh, you know, and after I have a good breakfast, oh, uh, I might as well serve God. After all, you know, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. The other approach is, as soon as you wake up, why am I here? I'm not supposed to be here. Oh, God gave me life. It's only to serve God. I that's the opposite. I thought I heard you say something that had two parts. That's uh, stated in the uh, in the Talmud. Well, the Talmud discusses both. In these two versions, it's telling us both. So, but the whole thing comes out anyway that we're here to serve God only. We were created for only that. Right, purpose. that's right. But in two different ways. Well, one way is one way is that I'm here to serve God. The other way is I don't exist. Mm-hmm. It's only the God's will that's important. And God wants I should do okay, something, so my, that's why I'm alive. So my will is not there. Right. My will, I don't have a will. Right. Okay. Okay, any questions? Yes. Um, before you were saying that Hashem comprises both knowledges within, can you say that that's why Hashem needed to create the world? No. The word needed is a trefer word. It's a non-kosher word when it comes to Hashem. A human being, when he wants something, it's because before he wants, he's lacking something. So he needs something to fill a gap, to fill a void. That's a human being. No, when Hashem, no, when Hashem wants something, he's not lacking anything before he wants it. There's nothing lacking within Hashem. And Hashem has the ability to want something even though he's not lacking it. Mm-hmm. So you can't say that Hashem is missing anything. That would be a wrong statement. But you could say that Hashem wants something without missing something. Yes, he wants something. Was it because, was it fact, the aspect of these two existing in Hashem, obviously that created that want toward the lower world? No, first Hashem wanted there should be a Das Tachtan, and that's why He created the world. But, the, but there's really a Das Tachtan, because that's what Hashem wants, so He has this Das, and there is such a thing. I'm, I'm not even sure how to ask the question. I guess I'm wondering, before creation, did those two aspects also exist in Hashem, or was one aspect... The potential for have to be a world first in order for this lower for the activization of this of this you need you need a world for the activation but uh, for the revelation of that but the let's say the the, the potential fulfillment of both doesn't need a world the achievement can exist without the world the accomplishment but the revelation to us requires the world. Um, you said also that Chassidus starts from the vantage point of Das HaElyon. Right. So is Chabad bringing this Das HaElyon into our level through Chachmavina, through right. learning and 
Right. Chesudis is the merging of Das Elyon with Das Tachtun into Das Tachtun. Right. That's right. Any questions? Clear as mud. <laughs> <laughs> Even I'm asking the question, is learning in itself enough to put in, is understanding the Is understanding one? <laughs> <laughs> All the things we're supposed to be intellectualizing through proximal being adopted, all those things. If we don't, if I'm reading the time, and I don't understand, I've read five pages and I have no idea what it's being talked about. Was reading it enough? Well, if you read the Hebrew, it's enough, but you should read those five pages again and again. <laughs> it's not enough. It doesn't matter. Don't do the next five pages. Just do these first five pages, but read it a couple times. Well, the chitas you should say anyway. But besides the chitas, you should start from the beginning of Tanya, especially now this month is, is we have Yitas Kislev. We begin again from the beginning of the... You should start from the beginning and at your own pace learn and understand. The parts that were up to now in Tanya, the chitas, that you can't understand. It's, it's too deep and it's too... Uh, Actually, the funny thing is, is too concise. There's, there's actually been a few things in the last few weeks mm-hmm. that I did understand. But you do have to learn from the beginning of Tanya at your own pace, and you have to go over it and over it until you understand it. You have the book lessons of Tanya, right? No, Oh, you have to get the lessons of Tanya. Mm-hmm. You, you know which book that is. You're yeah. the, and it's important to get that book, and you go through it a couple times at your own pace, mm-hmm. and you have to learn it. So by, by, by next year, you should be a Hasidic scholar. In what? Really? In what? Jeopardy. What's Jeopardy? What's that? Jeopardy is a television thing? On